T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour, liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Okay, engine stop. Okay, and a defense. Post control, both autos. Engine engine command override off. Engine arm off. 413 is in. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. My guest on Cosmic Perspective Radio is a veteran of U.S. Space Shuttle and Soyuz missions to the International Space Station, has spent more than 300 days in space performing seven spacewalks, is scheduled on a future commercial crew mission to the International Space Station on Boeing's Starliner spacecraft, and I think this is the coolest, actually ran a marathon in space. Welcome, Captain Sonny Williams, and thanks for being with us on Cosmic Perspective Radio today. Andy, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you, so thank you for the invitation. This is exciting. Tomorrow, November 15th, scheduled at 7.27 p.m. Eastern Time, history will be made when four SpaceX astronauts, your astronaut colleagues, will lift off from U.S. soil on a Falcon rocket to the International Space Station. Please tell us a little bit about the crew and what the crew will be doing before tomorrow's launch. Sure. You know, um, it's a pretty small office, so we all know each other pretty well. It's a funny question. A lot of people ask me, like, do you know those guys who are flying? I'm like, well, (laughs) yes, of course, because we only have, you know, about less than 50 astronauts. So Mike and Victor, Shannon and Soichi, we're all good friends. They're getting ready. You know, they've been in quarantine for a couple weeks already. Uh, They've spent a number of years training for this mission and they know their spacecraft inside and out. They know the International Space Station inside and out maybe doing a little review of some of the activities that they're going to do as soon as they get there. But honestly, it's a time to get ready, rested, have a little bit of free time with some family and friends that they can uh, see potentially through glass or um, through our stringent testing protocol, like spouses people are able to see. And they're getting ready to figure out their last Earth meal before they uh, blast off into space. So they've got a little bit of a free day today because you know, we all know that the launch was delayed by a day. You know, we had some rough weather here on the East Coast, um, which delayed the drone ship getting out to the proper position to retrieve the booster. But uh, those guys probably are taking a little easy today, doing a little last minute stuff with family and friends and uh, getting ready to go. You'd mentioned the retrieval of the booster stage. I understand that the booster stage from this flight will be used on the next SpaceX flight to the International Space Station. Is that correct? 
Yes, I think this this booster will be reused. Uh, that's the idea with this commercial crew program is, you know, to get the cost of going to space down a little bit. And part of that is figuring out the best way to reuse the boosters, reuse the spacecraft. Both programs are doing a little bit of that. Uh, the Starliner, for example, the one I'm flying on, there's two of them. And so we'll be reusing them for every flight. And SpaceX has been figuring out the best way to refurbish their boosters so we can use them again. The, the astronauts will be spending six months on the International Space Station. And of course, you've spent some time there yourself, four months or so. Uh, what are some of the things they'll be doing in microgravity during their stay? It's a pretty busy schedule as soon as they get up there. Kate Rubens is up there with her two Russian cosmonaut colleagues. And uh, so Kate is sort of holding down the fort on the USOS side, as we call it, which is, has not only the U.S. laboratory, but a Japanese laboratory, a European laboratory, and of course, the airlock where we do spacewalks. And you know, the word laboratory, you can pretty much guess. There's all sorts of science experiments that are going on up there, um, work with universities, uh, pharmaceutical companies, things that will help us back on Earth. There's also stuff that's going to go on during this flight. They should be getting ready for some spacewalks. We're adding on some new uh, technologies on the outside of the space station for batteries and solar arrays. They're doing experiments on themselves as soon as they get there to understand how they adapt to microgravity to help us lay the foundation for folks going to space for a long period of time as we build the next orbiting space station near the moon for our sustainability operations on the moon. And then, of course, that's going to be the stepping stone to getting folks going toward Mars. So, you know, there's a lot going on. This International Space Station is just an amazing piece of engineering work, international cooperation, and is allowing us to take these amazing steps toward the, towards exploration for the future generations. For some time now, my listener has been asking, when is the U.S. going to be sending astronauts from U.S. soil to the International Space Station? And this long-awaited time is finally here. What are some of the future plans for the commercial crew flights to the International Space Station? We're in the startup process right now, so we might have a couple extra, and some of the flights might be a little bit shorter. For example, Demo 1 was about two months long, and then this one will be six months long. We'll have another SpaceX flight uh, six months coming up in the springtime. We should have the unmanned test flight of Starliner this spring or early next year, and then the, uh, the test flight for Starliner sometime in the spring, and then hopefully the operational mission that I'll be on on Starliner maybe by the end of next year. So that's a lot of flights, it sounds like, but some of them are a little bit shorter than uh, the six-month planned schedule. So once we do have continual presence of these spacecraft, I think we'll be alternating them is, is, is ideally the plan. You know, one SpaceX flight, one Boeing flight, one SpaceX flight, one Boeing flight. So maybe the pace of them would sort of slow down, but it would be a little bit more um, regular. Yes, and the Russian space program will continue to send spacecraft to the International Space Station as well. Absolutely. The Russian uh, space program will be sending up their Soyuz spacecraft as well. You know, we've got docking ports on the front of the space station, which are for these commercial providers, as well as our cargo vehicles that launch from here, the Cape, and also Wallops Island. And on the back side of the space station, there's docking ports for the Russian spacecraft, the Soyuz, and also their Progress resupply vehicle. And in the past, the European ATV, which was a cargo vehicle. So yeah, there's eight ports, and uh, they're all being used. <laughs> yes, and, and 20 years of continuous operation of the International Space Station, and so much is done for humanity, everything from, of course, medicine to technology. I know you've spent four months yourself in the uh, International Space Station. 
What are some of the things that uh, have been done there that uh, breakthroughs or things that have been discovered or found that uh, helped uh, humanity? Yeah, there's a a lot of things like I was mentioning from the pharmaceutical side. The microgravity environment allows us to really look at how crystals and molecules and chemicals all work together without gravity interrupting that. We're actually doing some tissue growth up in space now as well. When I was up there, some simple basic experiments for microgravity on capillary flow led to some brand new ideas and math modeling for future um, fuel tanks, for example, how we can actually transfer fuel using different, um, what do you want to call it, veins maybe potentially inside of a fuel tank rather than using pumps. You know, that technology would help us when we are on the long haul to Mars, you know, so you don't want to be able to have to go out there and fix things. This types of advantage or use of microgravity will help take away those types of mechanical interactions that you don't have to worry about things breaking. Also, the stuff that we learned about us humans in space, you know, we've had some issues with vision up in space, and we need to learn about that as not everybody, but some folks have had some vision issues and we're doing all sorts of experiments to see what's happening with the eye in microgravity environment because your body starts to adapt and change. Uh, It's pretty spectacular. We're also doing some experiments with uh, rodents up there that are going to help us understand a little bit more about bone density and help with osteoporosis down here on earth as well as prevention of bone loss for us as we're taking the long trips in space. So there's one thing after another, it's, it's sort of funny when you look at the, the schedule, you know, every day is a new day. One of my colleagues, Don Pettit, said it's like a box of chocolates. You know, you open up the schedule and you might be working on getting ready for a spacewalk. You might be doing a science experiment. You might be doing some maintenance. It's a, a little crazy. So <laughs> every day is a new day. Working in the medical field for the past 45 years, I've had the opportunity to see firsthand the advances in technology from the International Space Station and the space program. Many great things for humanity have come from the ISS. Um, Everything from advances in medical imaging technology uh, to uh, clean drinking water here on the Earth. Oh, absolutely right. You know, getting things to space, you know, you need to sort of miniaturize things and save weight. And that's really helped some of the remote medicine all over the world because we're essentially doing remote medicine while we're up there. So, yeah, that's a great advancement that we've sort of take for granted just because it's innovation and technology that we need to operate successfully in space. And then the second thing that you brought up, of course, is, you know, water reclamation, you know, the the advancements in um, recycling water, you know, the gross thing that all the kids don't like is to hear is that we, you know, drink our our own pee, but it goes through a lot of filtering process to be able to do that, as well as our own sweat and and the humidity in the air. All of that gets reclaimed and cleaned, and those technologies to sustain us living in space have come back and helped people here on Earth, where particularly after like natural disasters, you know, how to get clean drinking water to the folks that are living there pretty rapidly. So tons and tons of what we call them spinoffs or return on investment to the human population here on Earth. You are listening to Cosmic Perspective Radio with my guests, Space Shuttle, Soyuz, and Boeing astronaut, Sunny Williams. When we come back, Sunny will discuss her past and future space missions, including spacewalks to build the International Space Station, and how she's preparing for her future Boeing Starliner mission. But first, 18 astronauts have been chosen to NASA's Artemis program that will land the first woman and the next man on the moon by 2024. At NASA, 
We have always answered the innate call to go. With Artemis, we are going to stay. Proving that humanity can live on the moon, Mars, and other worlds. And share the wonders of the solar system with all. Our story is one of people. All those who make this journey possible. From advocates across communities. To companies across industries. To countries around the world. We achieve this collective endeavor. Our efforts create impact for all. Technologies that revolutionize industries. And jobs that bring prosperity to people. The discoveries from space benefit the way we live on Earth today. And those from the moon will create a better future for generations to come. But to do that, we must go. Hi, I'm Chell Ingram. My name is Raja Chari. Kayla Barron. Kate Rubens. Hi, I'm Christina Cook. NASA astronaut Joe Acaba. Jessica Meir. Woody Hoberg. Anne McLean. Stephanie Wilson. My name is Johnny Kim. Nicole Mann. Victor Glover. Jessica Watkins. Hi, I'm Matthew Dominic. Jasmine Mogbelli. Frank Rubio. Scott Tingle. This is what we do. This is what we will do. Let's go. We go to the moon to learn how to live on other planets. For the benefit of all. We're back to continue my discussion with astronaut Sonny Williams. I'd like to talk a little bit about your experiences in space. You've performed spacewalks, uh, repairs to the International Space Station. What's it like to walk in space? Yeah, it's a spectacular event. I've been so lucky, you know, when I went on my first flight, we were right in the middle of building the space station. Honestly, I didn't even think it was going to be possible when you looked at the plan of how we were going to put this thing together like Mr. Potato Head. But we are right in the middle of doing heating and cooling upgrade for the permanent station because we had a sort of in a temporary configuration for the first crews that were up there living there. But as we had to do that, the first time I went out the door, as we call it, outside, it was dark. So I didn't really see the whole environment around me. I could see because I had helmet lights on my helmet where I was going. And we've practiced this quite a bit in this pool we have here called the Neutral Buoyancy Lab. And all those landmarks, you know, where do you take a right, where do you take a left based on maybe a piece of equipment, you know, I knew that because that's what I had practiced. So I'm translating, as we call it, my way over to my work site. And as I get there, you know, I tether myself down, make sure I'm locked in. And then the sun comes up and I see the earth zipping by me, below me, you know. And I, I was a little freaked out, you know, like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And and I realized, you know, of course, because it was light out then, I could look around 360 degrees, like in a sphere, my head in my visor. And that was it between, you know, me and the, the harshness of space and like I said, it got me a little nervous, but then, you know, you just go back to work and then every now and then there'll be a break in the work and you, you just got to stop and pinch yourself and realize where you are, your flying formation, 17,500 miles an hour with the International Space Station doing your job. And it's just incredible, just absolutely incredible. There's only a, a few of people that actually flown in space that actually did spacewalks. And I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I have scuba dived and I'd love to go into space someday, but I just can't imagine the, you know, what it would be like to do that. It, was, it sounds like an incredible experience. 
Yeah, you know, I've and, described it as every human emotion that you can have pretty much wrapped up in six hours. <laughs> because, you know, it's a, you know, it's like you're doing your job, so it's, you feel good. You, you know, sometimes you have success, everything's going as planned, but of course it's microgravity. It's a lot different, actually, than the pool. It's similar but different. So some things that are easy in the pool might be really hard in space, and then you go through that emotion of like, wow, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this done? I'm feeling like a failure. And then, you know, this, the sun will come up, you'll be nice and warm, and then the sun will go down and you'll be cold, and then you'll have to go to the bathroom. You know, you'll feel like, you know, and then you'll, you'll be happy because it's just like a beautiful, you're flying over the Caribbean. It's like, wow, I mean, every single emotion, I think, um, comes through you in that six hours just from the experience that you're having and, and all the stimulation of everything that's going on around you. And it, every single time I've had the spacewalk, when I've come back in, it, then it, it feels like real serious because, you know, at the very end, you need to get you and your partner back into the airlock and, you know, make sure all of the equipment's in there, nothing is tangled, you're able to get the hatch shut, and you guys are able to get back into the space station and get out of your spacesuits. It's, it's almost like one of those days where you've gone skiing all day long, and then you finally sit down and rest, and you're just exhausted. It's, um, it's just an amazing experience. I was fortunate enough to be able to go into the uh, space shuttle Discovery when it was being decommissioned. Uh, and I know you have probably a lot more space on the International Space Station, but to see the amount of space you had, area, I should say, to put on a spacesuit <laughs> before a spacewalk uh, and get prepared was a very small area. I'm just amazed that you could, you could actually get your spacesuit on in that very small area and, uh, and what you have to do just to get ready to go on the spacewalk, never mind going out and coming back in. But I was just amazed how small that area is. Volume it always looks small when people look at the simulators and, for example, in the space shuttle like you were looking at in the airlock where two of us are hanging out, getting ready to go outside. Um, but you have to remember, you can take advantage of all the space around you. It's not like you need overhead ceiling. The ceiling is actually another work surface. And so it doesn't really feel s small, uh, honestly. I think or gravity pushing us all down toward the bottom of every room that would make those spaces seem small. But in space, you get to take advantage of all that overhead room. So it's not that bad, I promise. Do you have any other memorable experiences that you can share with our listeners, uh, whether it be space shuttle, uh, ISS, Soyuz? Uh... Yeah, you know, just real quickly on spacewalks, because people always ask, what's like the most amazing thing that you've done? Or, and I think some of the impressions that I've had from spacewalks are pretty memorable. I remember on my first one, we were climbing up the truss, as we call it, because it was sticking at that point in time straight up from the space station. And I couldn't help but, you know, I was 40 when I flew, 41 when I flew my first mission. And, you know, you've got 41 years of feeling gravity. And as I was climbing up, I kept feeling like my heart started beating really uh, a whole lot, like I was climbing up a skyscraper. And I had to actually just close my eyes, turn my body sideways, and then just translate sideways. But I was still going, quote unquote, up. But you know, you're not going to fall. You sort of just have to switch that frame of reference around, and then everything was okay. When we got up to the top of the truss and we were doing some work, it started to be nighttime and we were working to try to retract a solar ray and we we're having a little bit of a difficulty. And so they said, just hang on for a little bit while we think about what's going on. And as we did that in a transition tonight, the Northern Lights was below us. And I was like, wow, I've seen Northern Lights, but I've never seen them from this perspective when I'm on top of them. And that was pretty spectacular and really, 
you know, stop and make you think about like your place in this universe. There's a lot of energy that's in the universe that's moving around around us that we don't even realize really what's going on. I think one other um, lasting impression, not from spacewalks, was when my crewmate, my American crewmate and my Russian crewmate, Mike Lopez Alegria and Misha Torin, were leaving the space station and their replacements were two Russian cosmonauts, Oleg Kotov and Fyodor Yurchikin, and they closed the hatch and they backed away. And then I was up there with Fyodor and Oleg and I'm like, oh boy, you know, wow, I'm up here with these two Russians and I'm representing the United States. All of a sudden it dawned on me what I was in charge of and what, what I was representing. And I was like, okay, just don't, sort of like a spacewalk. Just don't think about what you're doing right now. Just press on, do your job. Because <laughs> if you if you start thinking about the enormity of those things, I think it, for me, it would stagnate me a little bit. So you just sort of have to solve one problem at a time and work through everything. And uh, I knew I knew everything, knew a lot about the space station by that time, and I was very comfortable up there, just sort of one of those feelings of a little bit of overwhelming uh, responsibility. Yeah, well, thanks for telling us about the human side of this. You know, to listen to you talking about how your heart starts to beat and where you are, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're on this long section of the International Space Station, and just getting your bearings, I think, would be uh, something that your brain says, hey, wait a minute, I'm not standing on the earth here. I'm... Maybe I'm upside down, you know, but it is, there's no such thing as right, left, and upside down, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I didn't realize it, it to the degree in which we sometimes we maneuver the space station. Sometimes we fly it forward. Sometimes we fly it backwards. Um, like, for example, when the shuttles would dock to the space station in the, in the front of the, of the space station, we would turn it all the way around. And it was, it was very interesting. I was in the back part where the engines are for the service module, the Russian service module, and they start firing. And it sounds like a you know, very loud popcorn machine back there, pop, 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 pop. And I look out the window and I see the Earth's spinning below us as the space station is yawing 180 degrees around to fly backwards while the shuttle was docked to a, to us. So, you know, there's just weird little sensations like that that are just, uh, it's pretty, you know, a very unique place to live and work. <laughs> what an incredible experience. I'm envious, that's for sure. Next year, you'll be going to the International Space Station on the Boeing spacecraft Please tell us what you're doing to prepare for your mission to the International Space Station in 2021. I'm really honored and privileged to be down here at Kennedy Space Center right now, getting ready to watch uh, the guys on Crew-1 launch on the Falcon 9 and the Dragon. And in preparation for my next flight, which is the complimentary flight to this flight, it's the first quote-unquote operational flight of the Boeing Starliner. We've been doing a whole lot of work. We've had one unmanned test flight, and we're going to have another one coming up. Uh, this year and we're working on the for example the procedures and the manual flying capabilities of that spacecraft and we're also working with all the engineers on how we would recover that spacecraft we are going through the launch count with the folks from the ULA the rocket company we're doing all sorts of engineering tests uh, on the spacecraft itself. Also, you know, the simple stuff like how you're going to load it with uh, our clothes, our food, um, how we're going to actually go through the procedures of the day once we launch and then we're getting ready to dock to the International Space Station like these, the guys on Crew 1 are probably reviewing right now. So there's tons of work that's going on and we're getting ready. It was really nice to be here at Kennedy and watch an Atlas V launch. And it didn't have a start liner on it yesterday, but it launched and uh, it's the same rocket that we'll be launching on. So it you know brings it a little bit closer to home and we're getting ready for it and it's going to be a spectacular year coming up. 
I have an earthly question to ask you before we go. Have you spent more than four months on the International Space Station in, in isolation before you came back to the Earth? What advice would you give our listeners that are experiencing isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, that's a great question, and I've, I've thought about it a little bit because, you know, it's a different environment for all of us. It's a different way of living. It's just sort of like you mentioned, living on the International Space Station, and it's unique. So you know that it's not going to be forever. It's a time in our lives, and, you know, it might be a time in, in everyone's life to maybe just slow down and appreciate the simpler things of life and not have to work as fast and try to get every single thing done. I think a lot of people are learning new things like how to use the computer <laughs> a whole lot more to communicate with friends and family and as well as doing work. I mean, we're in this pandemic and we're still launching rockets, which means people are coordinating and, uh, and working together, maybe not face to face, but all over the world sharing information. And I think that's what people are doing at home. And, you know, I've heard about a lady the other day who took up a, an interest in and learned a new musical instrument, for example, people learning new languages and taking this time to really look inside a little bit and find out what's important and maybe do something a little bit for yourself. You know, of course, it's a little scary. I feel like that's the same thing with being in space, right? We sort of touched on it earlier today in some of your questions. But, you know, you take it one day at a time and you just try to solve problems that way. Try to keep yourself safe. Don't take any unnecessary risks. We try not to do that in the space program, too, because we all want success and we all want to come out the other side happy, healthy, and uh, spending the next day with our family and friends over at the dinner table. So, you know, it's very similar. And if you're a glass half full type of guy like myself, then I think, you know, this shall pass. It'll be okay. Yes, I agree. We've all been through some difficult times together. I'm a half glass full guy myself. We're all in this together and it's made us stronger and we'll get through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't lose the faith and we'll, uh, we're, we're getting ready for this next generation to do amazing things, so it's our obligation to, uh, to keep up the pace. Sonny, thanks so much for being with us today on Cosmic Perspective Radio, telling us about your experiences and your space missions and about this historic event tomorrow. If you could tell us where our listeners can go to learn more about the Crew-1 mission to the ISS and, uh, and of course, the commercial crew program. Yeah, of course, www.nasa.gov. And we also have all sorts of social media that you can find from that website. That's uh, We're going to be showing the, the launch live and commentary. So it's going to be a very exciting day. And uh, I hope everybody gets to watch it and watches the crew walk out and cheers them on like the rest of us. Go Dragon. Yes, go Dragon. Sonny, thanks so much for being with us again. Uh, the invitation's open. If you'd like to come back and join us as your mission progresses uh, to the International Space Station, we'd love to have you come back on again. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. Cosmic Perspective Radio is an Andy Poneros production.